I appreciate the uh, BBS uh, program, certainly appreciate the slideshow. I would love to have a picture, a copy of that picture of my wife with her mouth wide open standing there. So. Real, real good picture of her. So. She's not here today. She's back home outside of Cincinnati. And uh, so uh, I chose to wear jeans today, so please don't tell her. I'll call her after church, and if anybody tells her that, she'll, uh, she'll know about it. A couple little uh, housekeeping things that I need to take care of uh, beforehand. Uh, a couple weeks ago, yeah, Brenda and I are people people, and we like to watch you and listen to you and see what you're interested in and so forth and so forth. So my wife's better at it than I am, so she said, don't forget to remind Mike Correll how stupid he is about farming. So, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, you know, he ain't no farmer at all, trust me. So, uh, I'll get back with the rest of you in just a minute. Just be, don't go away. And uh, anyway, he was asking me, he said, what's a soybean? What's a soybean? And I was explaining to him what a soybean was, and, and it's one of God's marvelous miracles. So I stopped there. We got friends back home in Ohio. And, and the one guy has a little over a thousand acre of beans in one field. So I stopped and pulled three plants for you, Mike, and you can. And on the bottom of them are little nodules of nitrogen. That's what makes the ground better. And here's a breakdown if one bean would grow to its maximum. So don't ask me anything more about soybeans. So. And for some reason, my wife loves to watch Dale over here. So she went to Tractor Supply, spent three bucks of her own money. She said, I saw he uses those red hankies. So she bought you a red one and a white one. Or well, a white one, why? I have no idea. <laughs> My part's going to be mostly show and tell. I'll read some scripture out of the Old Testament. It's a little bit of a linkage between uh, Ahab and Ahaziah, which I don't mean flip to you. <laughs> don't mean much to me, to be honest with you. And in the middle is Jehoshaphat. I never did like that name, Jehoshaphat. But a couple of show and tell items. I, I sometimes, you ever wish you were somebody else? Whenever I get into black churches and they worship, I tell you, I just say, Lord, I wish I'd have been black. I mean, the way they run the aisles and hoop and holler and carry on. And, and sometimes I, I'll, I'll speak in a Pentecostal church and uh, I Lord, I wish I'd just like that. Just holler and yell and nobody make fun of me or laugh about it. We get out on the Indian reservation and I look at how they've suffered. I think, Lord, I'd like, I'd like to be a, a Lakota Sioux maybe for a while. I don't know if the Lord ever gives you what you want, but I hope you don't put those all together and I get the heavenly body and I end up red, yellow, black, and white, and feathers and everything else. But And a lot of times I wish I was born in the South, not the North. <laughs> Who said that? Hey. 
Just because you're an elder, I got the microphone. Don't forget that. I'm serious about that. You know the largest revival producing the most number of souls in American history happened during the Civil War. And it started in the interior of General Lee's army. There's a lot of articles you can read about it, and I encourage you to read about it. I put in a, two articles in the back, and I don't know. We've got to find a place to put them. Either I'm going to have to put them where you can pick them up, or I'm going to quit doing them and throw them where I want to. My little three-minute sermon is one on Fitzgerald, Georgia, 1895. The Yankee hard core from Indianapolis, a businessman, was in charge of uh, putting together benefit packages for Union soldiers and he had this dream of building a little model town somewhere where Union and Confederate soldiers and their families could live together the rest of their lives and heal those bodies and heal those broken hearts. And he found that they believed then that the most healthy place in the United States to live, coast to coast, border to border, was in a two-county area in Georgia, not too far, about 100 miles from Macon which incidentally was the county where Union troops had uh, finally intercepted the president of the Confederacy. Healthy place. So they, he built a model town there. He named the streets on one end of town after generals from the north, on the other end of town, generals from the south. Quite an experience in healing and the families of those, of those veterans still there. They're buried gray and blue together in the cemetery. And those old rough, tough guys out of the Civil War were given the opportunity one year, Mike, I'm just picking on Mike a little bit, one year to have a parade and they asked them to all come out dressed in their uniforms for the, and in uniform fashion and in regiment fashion. But the old guys came out of uh, the warehouse they had there and they was all marching arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder together. The other article about there is if you're ever in, and I'm sure some of you go to Myrtle Beach, if you ever go to Myrtle Beach or go south of Savannah, stop at a little town, not a little town, it's a large town called Florence, South Carolina. Florence County, I think it's one of the saddest counties I've ever been in in my life. There's a, I went there a few years ago to do a revival in a, a small black church and the, we're driving around, found a national cemetery. Then I noticed these signs all along this huge corridor, which had 50, 60, 75, 80, 20, 40, whatever. And in the last months of the Civil War, in the fall of 1864, they were trying to move prisoners around because they became such a bargaining tool for both the North and the South. And they moved a lot of them from uh, Andersonville and from uh, Charleston and from Savannah to Florence in a quickly built stockade in the fall of 1864. And there was a, a, a group of men and brought in, they thought they were all men, but there was one who uh, later found out was a woman, as a young woman, Florina Boudwin. She had enlisted with the unit in, uh, in Pennsylvania to walk beside her husband. 
They both ended up being captured. He later escaped, was killed in battle. And she made her way, totally camouflaged as a male, until the winter of 1864. She happened to be in the stockade in Florence. And local, uh, local Confederate women, mothers and sisters and daughters, became so tired of seeing the mule carts go by every day with the blue jackets from the north, young men, emaciated bodies, all unnamed, and they were burying them. Local plantationer said he was willing to use part of his plantation, Mike, to bury the dead. And you can walk down that corridor where there are almost 4,000 young soldiers buried who were never identified. Say, I stopped out yesterday and spent some time in Oakland at the little Presbyterian church. One of my, I expanded my bucket list. I'd like to do a Presbyterian revival, an old-fashioned Holy Ghost stump dumping power-filled meeting in that old building sometime and put 200 people in there and just to realize that on the floor had run the blood of young Confederate soldiers fighting for a cause. Beyond belief. Anyway, this young woman, Florina Boudwin, was unconscious with pneumonia and they brought her to two Confederate doctors. And they, of course, undid part of her top and discovered she's a girl. They quickly covered her up and brought in women from the local community there in Florence and they gave her clothing and food and nursed her back to health. And she then, for the next few months, became a nurse working with Confederate doctors. You need to see that place. She died then in January and they gave her, she was the first island, the first female of any branch to be buried with full military honors. A young woman from the north who was never able to have children, live a happy life with her husband, but buried by doctors and military officers of the south. The healing thing. Last night I was listening to local radio station. I'm going to get this subscription in a minute. I'm right on time, so don't you get you funny time. And there was a clip on the radio station that really bothered me. There's nothing wrong with going camping and fishing and hunting and, and kayaking, anything. Nothing at all. Nothing wrong. But it said this year on the three-day Memorial Day weekend, they expect more money to be spent in luxury and in partying than in any particular Memorial Day history in history. It said that in Cancun, Mexico, that the, the registrations for motels were up 40%. That's not what this weekend's about. Not at all. So I drove from Oakland into the cemeteries here in, in uh, Clifton Forge and over in Covington, drove out to the Sharon, the Baptist Church in Sharon, and uh, all those little crosses of the South were painful and hurting. So I brought along a show and tell means a lot to me. I stopped in Kentucky several years ago and it was a yard sale. The guy had a bunch of old clothing out there and, and he had this piece of clothing lying there and, 
And I said, do you know what that is? He said, yeah, it's a bag. It's a rag bag. It's a bunch of rags. And I said, uh, would you sell me some of those rags? He said, you have all those rags if you want them. I said, no, I, I don't want to do that. I said, but, there, but there's one there that, I, that has caught my eye. I said, do you know what that is? He said, I told you. It was a rag. But what he didn't know, it's, it's Confederate uniform. Every single CS button, CSA right there. Among collectors, he even got his name in there. Sewed in by hand, Belkin. And I looked at that and I said, you, you call that a rag. It's soiled from battle. It's soiled and it's got his buttons on there. It's got his name even in, written in the thing. And uh, I said, I wouldn't take that without paying you something. So if you give me a dollar, get it out of here. You may want to take a look at that after you put that behind you. A few years ago, I was uh, got another show and tell to show you, and then I'll go to my scripture. A few years ago, I was uh, we took a magazine called Cappers. Now, if you're an old fogey like some of the old wheel fogies here, you remember a magazine called Grit Magazine. We guys used to sell grit, and make a little money with it. And Grit had a sister magazine called Cappers. Both came out of Topeka, Kansas, and I was reading an article in there that there were three. Widows still alive whose husbands were in the Civil War. Now I'm trying to do the math. This don't make these. Those guys are marrying awful young girls or something wrong here. But then again, found out that it was very, very popular for a man in his 80s, sometimes 90s, to marry a girl 18 or 20 years old. It was quite a status, young ladies, to marry an old fellow who had fought and served his country. It was an honor. And it showed this picture of a young woman there, older lady. Her name was Gertrude Janeway, outside of Tennessee, outside of Knoxville, where she lived. She lived in a log cabin that her husband, who had been in the 14th Illinois Cavalry, had built for her. The man just don't make sense. So I, I got the area code for this little town and called down there and found the local feed mill and I called there and said, you can hear the feed grinders going in the back, this old guy answered the phone and I asked him, said, you ever, you ever hear of a Gertrude Janeway? Is this article true? And he said, what are you talking about? I said, he said, well, that's Gravel Gertie. She lives over here. And, and he said, you want to see her? I said, yeah, I'd love to meet her. I'd love just to sit beside someone who laid every night in bed beside a young man who fought the Civil So he said, I'll tell you what you do. You go out this road and this road and this road. And he said, you come to an intersection where a gas station used to be. <laughs> Make it right. All right. So I found that corner eventually with the gas. He said, you won't drive but a little bit short of a mile. So I'm, I'm at a gas station. I've never really looking but a bit of a short of a mile. And I found this little log cabin. And that's it right there, setting up a hollow. I walked up on the porch and knocked. And there's a 16-penny nail sticking outside with a piece of string wrapped around it, which meant somebody's been going in and out from the outside. Little boy said, hello. I said, are you Gertrude Janeway? She said, yeah, come on in. So we're in a one-room log cabin. 
And she was laying in, in a hospital bed. That's her there. She died two weeks later, a big old pink ribbon in her hair. And I said, is it true that your husband was in the Civil War? Yes, honey. She said, what's your name? I said, my name's Don. She said, well, Don, she said, right here are his pension papers, and I still get my, got my check last week. <laughs> Civil War. There were two others I wanted to get to, but they both died before I got there. They were in a nursing home in Birmingham, Alabama. I said, tell me your story. Or she said, I met him when he was, he was a, an old man, and, but she said, you can fall in love with an old man. And she said, I was raised in this county, and she told me about her being baptized and, and how she got baptized in, in the river there in that outside of Knoxville. And she said it was about 20 below zero when I got baptized, and she said my little dress froze solid to me. And when I come home, my mama made me stand behind the cook stove until I thawed out. And she told the story. And, and she said, my husband said, he was a young man. that said, now his name when he was young, his name was January. And he was too young to join the military. But on the way to Chickamauga, he came head on one day, taking a sack of grain to a mill for his mom and dad. He came face to face with the 14th Illinois Cavalry. Powerful unit out of Illinois. The captain said, do you want to be a soldier, boy? And slapped his horse on the honk, and the horse went home, and he changed his name to Janeway. Ended up in Andersonville. Later found out that she had some letters that he had written back and forth to Florina Boodley, buried in Florence. If we lose touch of where we have been, we lose touch of who we are. So those are up here if you'd like to take a look at them. If not, they're, they're going to be up here anyway. <laughs> Old Testament. I wrote down a couple of things, and the reason I asked the rest of the men to stand with the family of James and Joseph Kenny. Nelson, and the other young man with Afghanistan is, I wrote it down this week, uh, we've left 1.4 million young men and women around the world dead, so that we could be who we are, have what we have. In addition to the 1.4 million we have 1.5 million who are carrying wounds of war the rest of their life. In addition to the 1.5 million, there are 2.9 million around the world who have been casualties of war. We fight for our freedoms. We fight for what we can. I'm gonna make a quick trip tonight had to go back last week, a quick trip for a funeral. We got to go back, and and I apologize for doing that, but I got a responsibility, CJ, tomorrow morning, and I can't leave. It's with the Walter Miller American Legion, post number 394, Russellville, Ohio. For 37 years, I've gone with them on Memorial Day to do the last service with them. I've buried 30-some men 
out of that. I love these old World War II guys. Now, only one left out of World War II there. Now, I'm their, I'm their pastor. I'm the post-pastor. I'm not a chaplain. They got their own chaplain. They have different chaplains, and each chaplain I've known drink more beer than any rest of them in there. I mean, and I know what will happen tomorrow. I'll give a devotion and have prayer and everything else, and we'll go back there. And the only thing I'm going to get out is going to cost me $100 of fuel to go back, but there's one lady who's named Bonnie. And she will have a, a homemade poor man's pie. It's a milk pie. It's a depression pie. And that'll be it. And I'll take some peonies up to my mom and dad's grave and jump in the car and come back here. Second Chronicles chapter 18, 19, and 20. I really love. There's about, uh, oh, I don't know, 80-some verses in there, and I, I only want to read a couple of them. And give you the story quick so you can go home and do whatever you need to do. And then close with a quick flashback to about 100 miles from here. You are living in sacred country. You're really in sacred country. You, if you had any idea at all living in this county and in this state what that means to the American public, you, you would go home and get on Google or do something. And pardon me for being insolent. I missed that word one time, Josie, in the spelling bee. Pardon me for being insolent. But you need to rise above your ignorance. For who you are, what you have, the price that was paid. I wrote it down last night. I went downtown Covington last night and was driving around. And I wrote down, Dale, you've seen it a million times, there in, in front of the jail and the courthouse, a monument for the troops. I wrote down there that fate denied them the victory. It crowned them with immortality. The scripture is this. And then Jehoshaphat added, but first let's find out what the Lord says. And then Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. Now, what that came about was, here's a real, real quick, boring history lesson. This is as boring as all get out, but it's got to be told. So try to excuse the boring part. Jehoshaphat made an alliance with Ahab, who the Bible says was the worst king that ever lived. None before him was bad, none after him was bad. And, you know, whenever you make an alliance with something that's wrong, you pay a price. You know, I, I kind of, right now, I think the next star is on on the dancing, the, what's the dancing in Hollywood stars that they have on television? Yeah, dancing with stars. I think it's going to be Donald Trump and that Kim Mung Ding Dong or whatever his name is over there. They make a good pair for dancing with stars. Remember, I sat down and get and they ought to do something about it. That's what Jehoshaphat was doing. He formed an alliance with Ahab, and and they said, well, we better pray about it. So Ahab called in four hundred of his jerks. It had no authority at all, and they said, yeah, go to war, and this old guy, though, and Jehoshaphat said, we're calling somebody, get our point of view, and this guy said, yeah, I'll tell you what you do, go ahead and make a fool of yourself, because if they catch you, are going to wipe you out, and Ahab didn't like that, so they went to war, everything happened that way, and then I love the part that it said there was one soldier who just probably, after drinking a Coke, shot an arrow into the air, Made its way precariously. That's what the word was invented for. 
straight over top of both of the huge armies and stuck right in the joint, which was about that big. Couldn't have done that if he'd had to. But Ahab and Ahab said, get me out of here. And he leaned up in the chariot and watched the battle. And the Bible says, as the sun went down, Here's one of the scriptures in chapter 20. Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord and prayed. I don't care if it's Barack Obama, Donald Trump, George Bush. Wouldn't it be something if just one president, Republican or Democrat, in a tight situation would say, we're going to shut everything down, we're going to stand before somewhere, and we're going to pray, not go to this church or that church or whatever and hide, but pray and seek God's advice. And then he's told by the seer, you go ahead, it'll be all right. And I love the phrase, then he said, because the battle's not yours. It's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. And when he was obedient, it said that all the troops of Jehoshaphat came to the top of the mountain, I sound like that old movie, Song of the South. You ever see that movie, Song of the South? Remember that old bear? He's going to knock his head clean off. I sound like that bear. Anyway, the, the troops came to the top of that, and when they looked over there, dreading to go to war, it was over with. God had sent his angels to take care of them. That's why we have Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The problem was Jehoshaphat was just like you and I. You come to the end of that 20th chapter, and I'll be a monkey's uncle if he didn't turn around and do the same thing with the king almost as bad and paid the price back and forth. Why do I say that? Let me close with a story. You probably know it because it's in your state, not in mine. Less than 100 miles from here. I live 340 miles from here. When the war finally came to an end, incidentally, the reason we have Memorial Day is because of those Confederate women in Florence, South Carolina, who, while their men were still unaccounted for, walked over there on the graves of those young blue soldiers and put flowers down. And that's where it started. War came to an end, if it ever came to an end. General Ulysses S. Grant selected, appointed, and ordered Joshua Chamberlain from the north, from Maine, to receive the surrendering armies of the south. Meanwhile, General Robert E. Lee selected, appointed, and ordered General John Brown Gordon to bring the troops of the South. Stop. Historians say that if there's any time in history that, that we wish that the American people could sit down and could feel the horror and the sorrow and the pain of that scene. Yeah, we were talking Sunday school this morning about tragedy and different things and the Lord intervening. And you want to have fun sometime, just look up, not fun, you want to have a challenge, look up Joshua Chamberlain. Now, he's not an American Idol candidate. So it's not Josh Chamberlain, Joshua Chamberlain, who was a general from the North, and look up John 
Brown Gordon of the South and read the story. How many times they were shot in battle? How many times? The Southern General John Gordon was so strong and powerful at, the, at Sharpsburg at Antietam that he said that a Yankee saved his life by shooting a hole in his hat because the next bullet caught him in the cheek and he said, I was laying face down with two bullets in one arm and a bullet in the other arm and a bullet in the leg and I was laying face down in my own hat bleeding out of my own head. Thank God, he said, if it wasn't for that Yankee who shot a hole in my hat, I'd have drowned in my own blood. He later was put in a barn and taken care of him, and his wife came to take care of him. I love this. I'd love to have met him. I don't know if he goes to heaven or not, but someday, Dale, i got to find John Brown Gordon. <laughs> his wife came to take care of him. When she came in, there he is, shut up. He looks like a, he looks like a sponge away on there. His holes everywhere on him. You know what he said to her? Honey, I tell you what, this looks just exactly like I just got back from an Irish wedding. <laughs> Still had a sense of humor. Joshua Chamberlain, I'm just about done. Joshua Chamberlain said uh, no scene had ever touched him more than seeing General Gordon with his head down. Marvelous horseman he was. Leading this long, long, long line. Confederate troops. And Joshua Chamberlain said, I gave the order, carry arms. Carry arms is a mixture of some kind where the, where the gun is laid across the shoulder in respect and admiration. And he said, the minute that General Gordon heard all that clacking of the guns going into position, said he looked up from his horse. And he knew what was going on, and he then spurred gently in the horse's side, and the horse knew then tilt and respect. And then he turned around, drew his saber, and touched his toe. And the units behind knew it was time then to drop the Confederate flag in respect. And both generals later wrote that for a solid hour, you could hear nothing but the breeze. Lee and Grant sat down, and the first thing Grant did, of course, General Lee was addressed beautifully. He said that he thought that by the time he would leave Appomattox, he'd probably be General Grant's prisoner. General Grant looked trashy like he always did. He came in and said he had a hard time getting composure to talk because they were friends. And they just chit-chatted back and forth a little bit. Can you imagine that? And then they got done, and General Lee rode off. And all of the Union troops began to shout and holler and bands played and everything. And Grant flew into a rage and said, stop it. Not a time of celebration. Nobody won. Everybody lost. Shortly afterwards, uh, General Grant went out and found his lifelong best friend who happened to be General Longstreet of the South, leaning against the tree. He went over and they embraced and both began to weep. General Longstreet said, Sammy, that's what he called him, Sammy. Men shouldn't fight like this. We're brothers, we need to love each other. 
Nobody won. The next day, General George Meade from the Union stopped by the tent of General Robert E. Lee and visited with him. And General Meade said to Robert E. Lee, said, your beard has gotten increasingly white. <laughs> General Lee smiles and says, yeah, that's your fault, not mine. And you can go online. You know most of those men went to school together at West Point. They roomed together. General Longstreet of the South had stood up at the wedding with General Grant and his young wife in St. Louis. Sometimes there are no winners and there are no losers. We're either all losers or we're all winners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Isn't it just like God who would choose something as horrible as the Civil War to bring the greatest revival in American history, greater than the first or the second great awakening or the Azusa Street Pentecostal awakening, any of them? It happened in the South. And you know one of the biggest issues, the North, I'm from the North was that famous federal blockade. You know what one of the main items was that the Federals of the North Bibles? You got it exactly right. He said the exact word. They said if we can keep the Bibles away from the South, we'll conquer. If you're ever in Nashville, Tennessee, and visit the Ryman Auditorium, the home of the Grand Old Opry, just walk up about two or three streets, and there's a big Presbyterian church there in the floor of that church auditorium to this day is still covered with the hoof prints from the horses, horses' hoofs in the Union troops because they thought if we could demil if we could demoralize the spiritual side, we'll take them down. But the revival still came. You need to read about the revival within them. Jehoshaphat tried to do it his way, it didn't work. Because when he realized the only way to do it is the Lord girls ask, what's the peanut butter doing on the platform? I bought 25 jars of peanut butter yesterday, and it's on the platform. And next Sunday, if you've got guts enough to come back, I'll show you how to double the attendance of this church, and we'll have to go next door or go out in the parking lot somewhere with peanut butter. I just unloaded 1,100 pounds of soup beans over underneath the parsonage. My parsonage now, well, you, you used to live in the parsonage, did you not? The parsonage now is looking like a save-a-lot store. I got eleven. I got I got twenty five hundred dollars worth of soup beans in the basement over there. All kinds of stuff. That's there. My part, ministerially wise, is easy. Any preacher would say so. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you're as lost as lost can be. I can't candy coat that. The Bible also says that today is the day of salvation. So if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this could be. I got a little frame, and I've got Gabe's little note in my frame, and I'll never let that frame go. When Gabe gave me a net and said, Preacher, I want to be baptized. Every other word misspelled. But he did what he was supposed to do. Maybe you have a need in your life, something that's burdened, and I, whatever it is, just let the Lord have it. Greatest days for this church and every church 
will always be and should always be the days are ahead. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us and touch us in our daily living, that we'll not get so caught up in the crass commercialism of a lost and dying world that we sacrifice the joy and the beauty of being who we are. Thank you, Lord, for the men in this auditorium this morning who have served you, those that we have honored who have died and gone ahead who have served you. And, Lord, we praise your name that we've been able to, for the cause of freedom and the flying of our nation's flag, reach out to the hurting around the world. Father, help us to love each other. Don't let us get mean and ugly with each other. Don't let us be nasty. Help us to realize, Father, that you told us, it's not our word, it's your, you've told us that the greatest commandment is to love you, and the second greatest is to love each other. Help us to do that. Jesus' name.